0: We have to have the conversations about Mennonites also. We have to have the conversations about different types of Anabaptists.
1: Right, because everybody just assumes when you see a head covering that or a plain looking person, they're Amish. Right. Yeah. So he was like, he didn't know what Mennonites were, but he knew what Amish were. (laughs) Oh my.
0: So we are gathered here today, and before we get started, I have to say this, live stream may discuss trauma of all sorts to include all types of abuse. Viewers and listeners may find it unsettling and triggering. The guests on our live streams reflect a diverse set of values, morals, and ethics that may not reflect the morals, values, and ethics of the misfit Amish. If this live stream causes you distress, please seek support from your trusted folks and qualified mental health professionals as needed. And also, if it causes you distress, please cease listening until you're able to listen again. With that being said, I'd like to welcome Lori, Jess, and Stephanie for discussion about ignorance is not bliss. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Would y'all like to go around and tell me how you doing today?
1: <laughs> um, a l- a little nauseous. <laughs> nauseous? Yeah. Um, what's making you nauseous? Um, the content of the book that we're going to discuss today. Okay, that's fair.
0: I feel a little nauseous about that myself. But not, not, not the fear. Never fear. Look, I'm, I have my trusty coffee cup that talks about medical coders and number one is a person who solves problems you don't or don't or can't. I'm, I'm just saying, that's what medical coders are. I love or, it. or also we're people who do the precision guesswork based on unreliable data provided by those of
1: questionable knowledge. So just keep that in mind. I'm, as a therapist, I'm not sure how to feel about that because I might be one of the questionable knowledge
2: well, I feel
0: like however you write in a patient's chart, that's what makes us feel like it's those of questionable knowledge. I think that's fair. I've read enough charts to agree with that. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Take it. But have... I got my trusty cup. It's helping me feel less nauseous. I have what a the... donuts. So that's Oh, oh there you go. Have your donuts. <laughs> oh, you
3: got your
2: cup too. It says psychopathic on it. It's from a
3: trail yes. run oh, okay. oh my gosh that's awesome
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> what about the rest of you Jess Bye, I'm I, I read a couple pages this morning and I was really tempted to throw the book across the room so
1: you're in 30. good company
0: okay fair enough fair enough what about you Stephanie
3: um
2: I have basically read the whole thing um and I'm I'm in. I'm in the nausea club. <laughs> Team nausea. Team nausea. I'm. I'm glad we're discussing it because I can only imagine how much trauma the fallout just from this book. I mean, mm-hmm. sacred subjects across the board. Yeah. This. This thing. Whew. Here, let me make sure the camera sees it. <laughs> messed, very messed up.
0: Well, I mean, I'm, I'm glad y'all are here to have this discussion, but also as much as this subject makes us nauseous. Um, good morning, look at the trees. As much as the subject makes us nauseous, it is really critical that we do discuss it because for many of us who grew up in a variety of different types of Anabaptists, so I lived in Four different older Amish communities. And I lived in an Abe Troyer church. Um, Lori was in two different or at least two different Mennonite churches. And Jess, I know, was Charity and something else, I think, which is if for those who don't know, how did you describe it, Jess? Like Charity was like a, a, a group of like various Anabaptist people come together
3: yeah, there were lots and lots of different people, lots of different types of Mennonites. There were even some ex-Amish. Um, yeah, it just kind of caught everyone.
0: And then Stephanie was more of the, we called them liberal Mennonites. And I,
2: institutional, I,
0: whatever. Institutional. Somebody's got a background noise somewhere. It's you, Lori i'm the problem I don't yes know. it's the blue hair
3: <laughs> oh laurie it's so
2: pretty
0: mm-hmm. i love the blue hair it's great
2: I'm, and emits sonic vibes <laughs> I, <love
1: it. laughs> yes. I don't know how to make is it still is it better now yeah oh. yeah
2: so I don't know what to do so. Yeah.
0: So, anyway, so my point in bringing that up is like we're we're looking at this as survivors from different groups of Anabaptists, because what has happened is that so Amish have this new these newspapers called the Budget and the Butchart. They also have Pathway Publications, which is like Blackboard Bulletin, Young Companion, Family Life. I think there's one more. I can't remember what it's called. But regardless, they have these publications, and since then, they have been advertising these booklets inside of these different publications, and because sometimes different brands of Mennonites or Anabaptists may be um, also reading those, what has happened is that some of those beliefs have affected survivors from many different communities. So for us to have an open discussion about the contents of these books When we're in this this type of environment, everything is directly in front of us. There's no space for us to actually think about or consider these values necessarily, especially when we're actively in abusive situations. So here, when we talk about it, we're no longer back there. We're no longer there where the abusive is actively happening. And so we can look at it from a fresh set of eyes, so to speak. And because we've also done a lot of trauma work, I mean, Lori's a trauma therapist. Stephanie is like the head of an organization and Jessica is a, a teacher and I'm a life coach look, and a medical coder because we're special like that. But regardless, like we all have like found different ways and we've had different experiences. And when we come together and we discuss this, we can look at it through a different lens. And when we look at it through a different lens, my hope is, is that survivors who hear this are able to consider some of the things that we bring up, but also know that they're not alone in questioning some of these things. So with that being said, For those who don't know, and if you're new to this type of channel, these booklets are, this booklet is the second booklet from a set of of booklets written by an Amish minister, published by Pathway Publishers. It's called Ignorance is Not Bliss. And now I open
1: the floor to whatever y'all want to talk about this booklet for. Stephanie, I really thought your Facebook post kind of was a really good synopsis. I don't know if you'd want to share like the parag- the little paragraph synopsis that you wrote. I have it pulled up if you want me to read it. You're muted. You're muted, Stephanie.
2: <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Would you mind reading it? I don't have it immediately
1: in front of me. <laughs> yeah, I can do that. I just thought it was really, really good and I couldn't word it better myself. Ignorance is, this is from Stephanie. Ignorance is not bliss makes me unbearably sad. It's obvious that it's an artifact of a culture in which sibling incest, sexual aggression, and developmentally abnormal sexual activity between children is so endemic and widespread that well-meaning adults are at their wit's end. And I just thought that was like, such a if you could like summarize the whole book in one paragraph that was it i would agree yeah 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 and those, <laughs> any further
2: thoughts i know <laughs> um i can elaborate on that a little bit to open things up if that helps go ahead um so i think it's probably like for people who are watching who have never read these, that it, it might be difficult to know, okay, what, what is actually, what is the purpose of this book? Because we're just, we're all sitting here going like, oh, this is awful, which it is. Um, it's supposed to be an instructional book for parents who are dealing with uh, problematic behavior, behaviors in their children
3: like
2: right
0: (laughs) problematic okay so let's let's really go there so these booklets are listed Mm -hmm. and I'm gonna go look it up just to make sure I don't misspeak but I believe they're listed in the Mennonite Historical Library at Goshen College Mm -hmm. as Amish sex education booklets like I'm I'm looking it up to make sure I don't misspeak again because I'm I'm not trying to misrepresent what they have listed them as, but when you um, search for I wish or ignorance is not bliss, that's what it is that we're talking about today. It comes up and when you click on it. It says sacred subjects, sex education, booklet two.
2: This is booklet two. Yes. Is the first one I wish I could have confided in my parents.
0: Okay. Yes. Well, so.
2: That's revealing in and of itself, like. This is a this is a book full of accounts of sexual assault of children by other children. And like to be clear there's also some stuff mixed in there that strikes me as like developmentally normal. Like mm-hmm. it's not actually the same thing when like a 2-year-old tears their clothes off. It's not the same thing as when a 10-year-old pretends to be having sex with a six-year-old, you know? I mean, like, just to be randomly, <laughs> like, I, there's, no, there's no understanding of, like, developmentally what's appropriate for kids, and there's no understanding of abuse of power. And nowhere in here do I see questions about, like, if children are behaving this way, how are they being treated by adults? And how would we go about finding out that information? Um, It's just a lot of sort of folksy descriptions with folksy advice. And we could start off, I mean, the, the opening, one of the first anecdotes, I guess, in here is just absolutely horrifying. It's talking about it's talking about brothers basically sexually assaulting a developmentally disabled sister. And then, Oh, but then they, other brothers got the, I I just shut down when I try to describe it anyway. Yeah. So that's what we're dealing with.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And then they also label it as sex education, which is also like, if if this is the only education that parents are getting that, I mean, we know that teachers in these communities are often also not educated themselves, right? They're Mm -hmm. getting the same education. So it just keeps perpetuating generation to generation. And -hmm. they really only focus on it as being like impure, which, you know, we've talked about purity kind of culture wording before and it being sin they don't talk about anything else like of the harm and all of those kinds of things um, and then of course if we as we get further into the book then they're punishing people with like you know spanking and things like that so you're beating your child for something that is it, it just instead of it just all is convoluted yeah
3: and i noticed like from the very beginning like the first page they're blaming the victim
1: victim blaming they're
3: literally blaming the victim and that person's living with all of that guilt and it sounds like the rest of her life
1: yeah
3: and like that's just a theme throughout the entire book is blaming the victim and the person that did the crime he didn't know better yeah that's how they're presenting it yeah
2: well and because well and
0: if he didn't know better then why didn't he know better why didn't you fucking teach him better why didn't you teach your children better because you don't know because you don't know how to teach your children how can you teach your children if this is what you're being told this this is appropriate Yeah. yeah And I think it's doing not just like the victim blaming is horrific, but the parent miss the the disinformation that it's giving parents is also betraying parents of all ways and walks of life. Mm-hmm.
2: Because this is, you know, I mean, when we have conversations like this, the accusation that's often thrown at us, and especially at Mary as a non-compliant Amish person, is that this is about hating on the Amish. And this is, like, I felt so much, like, empathy for Amish parents when I was reading this. It, like,
0: <laughs> it just, I'm just going to put it like this. I am a parent. I'm a parent of a teenager. And this book was so- horrible when I read it the first and the second times that when it came time to read this for this discussion I literally said you know what I do not have the energy or capacity to read that one more time why because for example it's it's telling parents and I don't even remember what page it is but I know I highlighted it and I know Stephanie talked about it but it's telling parents that if you know, your child re-offends. You haven't spanked him hard enough. And yes. you need to go get him and whip him harder. I bet a good whipping would take care of that.
1: Yeah. Yep. That's what I was and
0: I just, I couldn't read that yet
2: again. Mm. It's... Like, yeah. that it, it's
0: is... Imagine being a parent and looking for other ways to teach your kid and tr- your kids and trying to, like, you know, break the cycle of violence that you experienced as a child. How are you supposed to break the cycle of violence? It's the very thing that is purported to be helping you, is telling you to be violent towards your kids and not just spank them, you should whip them.
3: That
0: was disturbing. Yeah. So, I I don't know. I guess like that that part just really, really, really um, hit me in the guts as like something that, and I've talked about this. I've spanked my child, and I deeply regret that. That is not okay. I've also talked about the messages of society around you in general, outside of Amish culture, that teach you that you must whip your kids. Oh, when your kid has a meltdown at the grocery store, and you have somebody telling you, "Oh, you, all that kid needs is a good, good whipping. A good, just, just tap that hind end." Like you know, they have so many people who think that it is acceptable to sit there and just hit your kids for everything. Well, so it, it's isn't it larger than just Amish society or, yeah. or Mennonite society or Anabaptist society? It's, it's the entirety of, of our society. It has this issue and they keep doing this and keep perpetuating cycles of violence because they fail to understand that you cannot effectively break the cycles of violence by continuing to perpetuate the very same actions that led
2: to the cycle of violence in the first place okay i'm and done i just want to jump on that and say like what these books did in amish culture like james dobson and focus on the family did for wider evangelical culture and that stuff i jess i'm curious about your experience because i know that 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 the dobson sort of philosophies around child rearing had a big impact on a lot of a lot of conservative mennonite spaces there
3: there was a little bit of both um i saw a few of those books but it wasn't i think it was more of some of the english people that came in and converted that would bring them and then they kind of caught on um in the church but yeah we had a little bit of both like i grew up on these and my parents you know taught us learned from those but then also As I was older, we started hearing some of the Dobson stuff and some of the other books. I don't specifically remember the titles right now. But, yeah, we had teaching from both of them. And I want to point out something else
0: that's also in this book on page 28 that really, really, really upsets me. Note. Note. A minister from Iowa who reviewed the manuscript of this booklet had the following comment on this part. I think it would be very important that cleanliness be stressed to parents and that the foreskin be pulled back and washed. I personally recommend circumcision. If the foreskin is tight and not cleaned properly, it can irritate and can cause the masturbation habit very young.
1: That is just not even um, biologically correct.
3: Mm-mm. there's just a lack of entire lack of understanding mm-hmm.
0: so what would we tell parents how do we tell parents like, to teach their kids as opposed to that and what do we tell people as opposed to that and is it any wonder like, like how many people in the world alone believe that
1: we grew up with Dobson and all of that. Um I don't remember these books, so I, I don't I'm guessing we didn't have them unless my parents did choose to share them with us. But um we definitely had the Dobson stuff. I definitely remember that.
0: Yeah. So maybe like as I said, like the sacred subjects are more of an Amish thing, but they've leaked over into other Anabaptist cultures.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that there are Mennonites who use them as well. Just, yeah. We did. We must have been slightly more liberal or something like
2: that. What did MCU USA
0: use, Stephanie?
2: Oh, there's nothing standardized. It just, it depended on the church. Um, When I, I mean, in the 90s is when I grew up, you know. <laughs> so purity culture was like, Blossoming in a wide, wider American Christianity, and I, I let me put it this way: my experience, just just for clarity's sake, I didn't actually grow up in Mennonite Church USA because Mennonite Church USA didn't exist when I was growing up. Mennonite Church USA was formed between the General Conference Mennonite Church, which is what I grew up in, and the the Mennonite Church, uh, which is further east. What whatever, that history is not interesting or important. But when I was a teenager and a young adult, um there was recognition that churches should be talking to kids about this, but nobody actually wanted to. Like the entire like the denominations were just immobilized by disagreements about how they should do this what often happened is they would outsource it to evangelicals who were more than happy to talk about it because they had all this purity culture stuff to push on us. So I would say I didn't grow up being brainwashed with this stuff um, because, you know, it wasn't really my parents' jam. I mean, you know, I lived with my spouse before we got married and like, we did not get judgment or hatred or anything like that. There was never an expectation that I needed to stay a virgin or any of that. Like, but did I hear it like in church or when I went to church camp? Yeah, sure. I I mean, I heard people who were reading Dobson and trying to get the Mennonites to, trying to get the liberal Mennonites to pay more attention to the very important information about how our kids can stay pure. So I did, I did pick up on it. Um, just not as, not nearly as heavily as what the three of you experience.
0: Fair enough. Thank you for sharing that. Just so people understand, like we all have like vastly different backgrounds, um, I think it's very interesting to understand how the different varieties have like different brains of teachings and how they can sometimes overlap and sometimes incorporate other beliefs that are more mainstream compared to like what others grew up with. And so that's really interesting to understand, too. Kind of like you have to look at like each denomination in each church is kind of like the they, they probably have their own standards. So you should probably ask, not assume my opinion. I I did have another part of this book that really stuck out to me um, on page 39 where it says if other children tell you to keep it quiet, do not listen to them. So now they're placing the burden of preventing child sexual abuse on a child. If you help to keep something like that quiet, you will be punished right along with the children who are doing it. Oh, so it's all the children's fault that is something that we spank for and spank hard just like you do when you do something just like we do when you do something like telling a lie but if other children do it and you do not take part and do not help keep it quiet then you will not be punished
1: that kind of leads into what another thing i was going to uh, say that i noticed was that was just the secretism like somebody mm-hmm. said something about One of the stories, because again, this book tells a lot of stories, as we talked about before. It's really a common way that Amish relate. Like something about if I had known that other people went through this or something, and I thought, yeah, there's all this on top of everything else is the secretism. There's everything is so secret. We don't talk about it. Nobody talks about it. And I think there was one, one of the stories when the parents went to another parent for help because their child, their siblings had sex with each other.
2: Yeah. I want to talk about that one.
1: Yeah. And then um, they, they were, the mother was like, what will people think about us? And it made me sad that she, like, that's what they worry about. And that's why everything is. And then now you're like, Mary just said, you're placing that burden on the children keep a secret. And that's how these things are perpetuated. Because I know for myself, I was I shared in one of the lives I did that I was a victim as well. And I didn't know other people were going through. I had no idea. Um and that this is how it's able to be done. Well and I, I think it, I'm
3: sorry. Go ahead. I think it also leads into the shame that so many of us felt and still feel and still fight because if we're not allowed to talk about it and it's looked at as something that's kept in the dark and secret that we're always going to carry that shame about it.
1: Right. And because you're not pure now, because they put so much emphasis emphasis on really the, the women, a lot of times the girls, um, And so then, therefore, what man would ever want me now, right? Like, and of course, that's the end all be all to marry well. Mm -hmm. Those all. They all intersect. Yeah. And then
0: um, when you also think about um, some of the other things that are written in this book is when you talk about, like, they do talk about supervision, which they're right. Alert supervision is needed. You know, you have to pay attention to your kids. Um, but then they talk about a big downfall is for children of different families to be together too much, which further isolates survivors. They will get to know each other too well and will become bold with each other. So they're saying that because you know somebody well, it's automatically going to lead to sexual abuse. That's apparently like, are there relationships that are platonic in any part of the world? If you read this
1: book, it really doesn't feel like there is. It feels yeah. like everybody. But
0: I. <clears throat> and then it says, That is an ideal breeding ground for impure conduct of one form or another. Children just simply don't have any business spending that much time together. This is on page 23, y'all. They would be much better off at home under the supervision of parents. And further on the same page, well, I don't think you should be discouraged, Elam said, the family that has no problems in this line at all is pretty rare, perhaps.
1: Yeah. What?
0: So, along with the, the focus on, like, purity and your ability to marry well and the shame and the silencing and the responsibility, if you see, like, if you were like you're going to be punished if you don't tell but if you tell what's going to be done to you if like they determine that you participated in your own sexual abuse
2: right who wants to who wants to share when they don't when they're they don't know if they did a bad thing or not and it's clear from the first person accounts that all the survivors assume they were doing a bad thing mm-hmm and can we talk a little bit about the the whole brother sister scenario that led to this this Uncle Elam thing? Yeah. So just for anybody who hasn't read it, so this is a scenario that they describe. There's a, a mother who sees her very young children. Like I I don't know what I mean. These are like. Five, six, seven-year-old kid. Brother is a little older, I guess, and the brother is naked, lying on top of the sister, and she's distressed, right? <laughs> um. Anyway, so the mother goes to the dad and is like, "I don't know what to do. You know, we've told him not to do this." And then dad is like, well, we need help. I'm gonna ask my brother Elam. So then Elam becomes the voice of authority and the voice of authority for the book and the author, giving all this advice. And the advice that he gives, for one thing, I forgot that the little girl even existed, or I didn't, but like, thank you, Dottie. Thank you. Thank you, Dottie. Thank you. Take care of yourself. We're here for you if you need anything.
0: Yes, Yeah. and reach out if you need to talk to somebody.
2: Yeah. It's, I, when I read this section, because it's all about, here's how you discipline this boy. And of course it's beat him, and if he doesn't get the message, beat him harder. Okay, well we know that like, like physical abuse in childhood does
0: can i read the part yeah so that people understand exactly what it says so this story that stephanie is talking about starts on page 18. on page 20 it says you have told simon that he has done very wrong it goes on page 21 it says but you did not show him how very wrong it seemed to you I suspect that if when you were finished that first time explaining things, that if you had taken a little whip and warmed his bottom real good, it might have soaked in better. And if it did happen again, double the dose. It takes more until some children get the message. It is clear by this time that Simon isn't getting the message that this kind of behavior is absolutely
2: unacceptable. Thank you. So, I don't want to dominate this part. But no, go ahead. I have some thoughts. <laughs> go ahead. I just
0: wanted people to know exactly what they said word for word. Yeah, yeah. And where to find it if they wanted to check up on what we're talking about.
2: So, I, you know, I'm a survivor of childhood sexual assault. Not, not like serious repeated abuse, but repeated assault from kids I went to school with. And I thought about, when I was reading this, I thought about, okay, so I don't know if anybody ever talked to the perpetrators of what happened to me about why they did it and asked them, what were you doing? Because I don't recall any adults ever being looped in. Um, But I was thinking, what do I wish looking back looking at like the little girl that I was going through what I was going through. What, what would I wish that responsible adults would have asked those boys? And that's where I started in like looking at this and being like, okay, this boy did something that he really does need to learn. He can't do. And let's like, like, we need to talk about the the neglect of the, of the, the sister, the girl child here too, because she's not part of the discussion at all. Nobody's checking up on her. Nobody's asking, did he put his penis in you? Nobody's asking her like basic questions about what happened, you know, without, without judgment, obviously, like, (laughs) but I was thinking, okay, what, what do I want a little boy who does this to be asked? I want him first. I want to ask, where did you, did you see someone do this? Where did you get this idea? Why did you do it? Did you Do you understand how it made her feel? Do you want to hurt her? There's none of that. There's just beat him so he knows it's not acceptable. And we know we we don't have to go on and on about the statistics about cycles of violence. We know this is the absolute worst thing that people could do to stop this from happening again. I mean, it might work in the short term, but you're creating like a well of rage and trauma in that boy. And if he doesn't learn anything better to do with it, he's gonna continue to hurt other people.
0: And he's never going to understand the consequences of his actions.
2: Yeah, and it's gonna it's gonna truncate his ability to to empathize and to see. Women, for starters, and and girls as human beings.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think Lori was trying to say something. Yeah, sorry, I didn't know. I, was, I forgot I was muted because um, my computer keeps causing problems. Um, <laughs> it's like your computer is working against you. It wouldn't be the first time technology has worked against me. Well, it's um, just rude. <laughs> it's so rude. <laughs> but it also creates shame in him. Like, I also see that. And, like, honestly, what you said, like, really, that. I felt that, like, I mm-hmm. wish I had said that to all people. Um, and because you're right, like when there's abuse, there is a lack of empathy. Um, and But when you, when the way that they discuss treating him is going to create shame in him, and shame is not a motivator. It's not healing, it's not going to help someone want to be better. But I think, you know, like investigate, I always assume that the person anyone as a child, you know, perpetrating was, has been sexually abused themselves. And that's really what the research says too. Um mm-hmm. But so it doesn't excuse it, but also they need help as well, not to be beaten. That's well, not- and let's just, I just want to
0: chime in real quick with like the statistics. What do we know about the statistics saying like, you know, when, when children like are Are beaten when they experience physical violence, they're more apt to perpetuate to go grow up and commit um, acts of sexual violence. That's been shown in research. And the other part that has been shown in research too is this: is that when children receive proper interventions as children to help them understand why and to to have empathy, um, they are the least likely to reoffend because the recidivism rates are really high, but when you think about it, the kindest thing you can do for your child is, and your children, in fact, is like one for the perpetrator of of this thing, you can really like teach them why it is wrong and have like the, the hard conversations, but also like seek like You can go talk to a counselor about how to handle it if you don't know. And I don't mean like a pastor. I don't mean like, quite frankly, I don't mean like necessarily a Christian counselor. I mean a counselor who probably deals in like early childhood education or something like that, or developmental trauma or things like that. Like Those are counselors who are qualified to help you answer that question. And if they're not, they should refer you to somebody who is. Absolutely. And then when it comes to the survivor, the the victim of this, where is your empathy for that, for that child? Where is your space to allow this child the place to um, process all of that? Where is the trauma therapy for this child?
1: Well, because they're only looking at it as a sin. They're not looking at it as um, they're, and they're only looking at it from that lens. They're not looking at it as the harm. They're only looking at it as now they're damaged goods, so to speak. Right. They're not looking at it as they're a person that is going to struggle with shame and all the things that survivors have to deal with. They're not thinking about any of that because they don't know better. I'm not. It's not an excuse, but like we've said many, many, many times, if you know better, you can do better. And if this is the education that's being passed down generation to generation, then that's all they know.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I guess, like, on one hand, part of the goal of having this conversation, too, is to humanize people. Mm -hmm. To humanize people, because, you know, way back when, didn't the world really think that this was appropriate?
2: And there's still lots of people, English people, who think this is appropriate. Mm-hmm. In case, in case anybody from my audience who doesn't know Anabaptist terminology at all is is watching, English is basically the Amish word for everybody who is an Amish, um,
0: <laughs> except for Mennonites. Those liberal Mennonites, we just feel like they might be going to hell.
2: Yeah, there's a special special place in hell for liberal men. I mean,
0: they just they drive cars, Stephanie, and they they look like normal English people. It's just they're so worldly. I just can't even keep. up I just I yeah I, I, I do legal.
1: And as a conservative, as conservative Mennonites, we called anybody who wasn't plain. We called them worldly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Okay. Well I come from worldly Mennonites. Business. The worldly I mean, English. You
0: don't like the liberal
1: Mennonites
0: term. <laughs> Me? Oh no, I
1: just mean anybody like where the Amish called anybody who wasn't Amish English. We called anybody who wasn't plain, we called them worldly. I don't I don't know why. I mean they were like the world, obviously. It was mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean I'll well, we call them just. I
3: yeah. mean they were they were worldly. Mostly it was like the worldly English.
1: Oh, so okay. asking,
3: if you were a Mennonite and you were less conservative than we were you, you were worldly <laughs> I was always super jealous of them but you know I never said that
1: of course not because we're allowed to do that
3: <laughs> the scar
0: Our... is a sin I'm just saying I just, I'm really judging over here in my older Amish.
1: Yeah. So, huh? so, so convinced by your judgment. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do better now.
3: Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> my papa said, We are supposed to forgive and forget. Children is to be seen and not heard. Yeah. Oh.
3: We learned that too.
0: <laughs> oh, I like to think I'm funny. I'm glad it made you
1: laugh, lady Trauma. oh my Don't, God, a sense of humor just really comes with the um PTSD starter pack. I'm sorry, it just does it does
0: it's almost mandatory to make sense of life after trauma yes. I'm just saying okay so what i what I sang was okay, I it's in, it's in our little singing book and it, it says it's like um um, I don't know how to translate demut, but it it basically means like meekness or like, mm-hmm. God, how do you translate that? Anybody? Anybody know what demut is in English? Not. I'm gonna find out
2: because um,
0: it's, 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 it's really funny if you understand what it means. Because it kind of means like um humble and meek. Oh, one of our one of our listeners has got it. Humble and mm. meek. It's the best. Like, you know, Tugend is like your um your um God, why can I not English today? <laughs> <laughs> Y'all are too worldly and it's like I'm regressing. That's what's happening. That's awesome. Your, your attributes, your qualities. So being humble and meek are your best qualities of every Christian everywhere. And you're giving yourself over to those rules, even if they were made by man. Mm-hmm. Thank you, lady. Thank you. Anyways, here we are. Yes. That's totally off topic. But yeah, I, I got to sit here and judge on my Amish pedestal because we are the right ones. I'm learning from the best.
2: This is a time honored Anabaptist activity across the board, you know. Mm-hmm. It's true. We really do that. Oh yeah. Everyone is there's a there's a joke that is really specific to the two denominations that made up Mennonite Church USA, but I still think it'll be relatable. Like <laughs> 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 MC USA who are like, well, the general conference people when when they disagree, like when they disagree about something between one church and another, the attitude is, well, we don't agree with that. So we're gonna, you know, do our thing over here. With the old Mennonite church, it's God disagrees with you. <laughs> so we're gonna do <laughs> general conference, we're like, we might think God disagrees with you, but we're gonna keep it to ourselves and say things like, let's agree and disagree in love and all that bullshit. And um, over <laughs> over in Old Mennonite church area, it's, no, you're going to hell. Mm-hmm. God is with you. Oh. Form oh. a new church far away from you and your worldly stain.
3: And we're going to break off and change our clothing so that you can tell. Straight to okay. hell. Make sure that it's distinctive, <laughs> that there's just one thing that tells us. The smallest pleat difference in the covering will definitely make you know you're going straight to hell.
1: I for would, yeah. Real. Really
3: Especially that. if you do the Tverke Pets de Copper. Oh,
2: yeah.
3: It definitely, like, they're definitely looking for that to find out if they're going to hell or not.
0: Wow. Um, yeah, That's like great. for us, like it really was those, those, like the one community I lived in those, those two way. So let me show you something. For example, if you look at this covering, I don't know if you can see it really, but it's really finely pleated in the back. Oh. And then you see this line that goes across. You see that? That's called a two, it's a baby. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's that's two ways pleated and that is sending you straight to hell. There's no do not pass go, do not collect $200, you're going straight to hell.
3: You could straight always, to jail. You could always tell if you were a little bit elevated, like you were more holy, if the the material that you made your covering with was less see-through than someone else. You were definitely like Oh, moving up in the world.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, we can't have that. That's so
3: ridiculous. Now that I or,
0: think oh my god, Or
3: if you have your
0: cape extra wide in the back, you won't stay Amish. You'll go to the men. Yes, thank you for that one. <laughs> so, anyways, what does all of this have to do with this book? Let me, I, I think one of our listeners has it uh, hit the nail right on the head. So much control. Okay.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's so much, there's so much fear of exposing your children to the wrong people or, or, or ideas in this. It's just absolutely soaked in fear.
3: I was thinking about that as I was reading this, I was kind of thinking about like my younger childhood, like five, six, seven, eight years old. And like, there were families that I remember playing with and like doing things with that just disappeared. And we weren't allowed to go see them anymore. And we wouldn't have Sunday dinner with them anymore. And like, now that I think about it, I think they were like, my family was probably protecting us from, you know, whatever worldliness was going on there. Or I don't know, I was too young to know, but that happened a lot. There were people that we would, you know, go have dinner with or whatever. And then we just never saw them again. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes back to that control they literally took people out of our lives because they didn't see things or do things the same way.
0: Because they were too worldly or because they were too English or like one of our listeners also shares, I feel like this exactly happened in our home with another family. We would always get together every other Sunday and all of a sudden we had to stop hanging out. So for Mm -hmm. those who are not familiar, um, I don't know about Mennonites, but all of the Amish communities that I lived in and the ones that I've visited, all of them, we only had church every two weeks. So the in between Sundays is when we would go visiting. And I myself had somebody that, like a family that we would go visit on in between Sundays a lot. And that all of a sudden stopped.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And so it's that's really difficult as children to process that because, like, why? these are people that you love and that you care about and you don't really understand what's happening or why, like why are you no longer allowed to like hang out with these people or be around these children who make you feel like you're seen and you're heard. And like, there is a friend, like there's one person I write about in my book actually um, who really was like that family's kid. And, and like, the truth is, is that I will probably never stop remembering how much she showed me kindness in a world that did not show me kindness and how it felt having that removed from me. One of our listeners says, if you feel totally broken, you have to give your broken pieces to the Amish. No matter how broken, you have to stay Amish. That is how I often feel. My belief is you give the pieces to Jesus. Yeah, that's, that's what they pressure you. That's what people get pressured into doing because of that fear, because of that control, because of that violence. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you all for, for sharing so openly about that. Like, I do have a question though, like just, you mentioned like feeling that same way. Like How do you feel about it today? Like looking at it from a distance, not as in like this is a fresh thing that you're currently experiencing.
3: I mean, it was it was kind of horrible. And I was thinking about it too. the person, the one person that I I really feel like I may not have still been living had she not helped me. Um, My family tried for years to separate us and to not allow me to see them. The whole family, really. Um, And I think that's so dangerous. Like when people build relationships with other people, even if they're young kids, taking that away is so harmful. And like, as a teacher, I think about the kids that I teach now, if their families did that that to them, that would be horrible because they do build relationships at that age that are really meaningful. Mm -hmm.
0: So one of our listeners asks if we all are okay I mean, I will be in about <laughs> seven and a half minutes when I end this life and don't have to talk about <laughs> ignorance is not bliss and the underlying culture there. Yeah, I will be. And I am okay. Thank you for asking. But what about the rest of you?
1: Um.
0: <laughs> Nobody can hear you nod your head,
1: y'all. Oh, that's right. <laughs>
0: No, no, we're, we're not an gonna... armist Church, okay like <laughs> women can't speak here. Oh that's awesome.
1: Um, I'm
3: okay, and I have a good support system.
1: Yeah I have a therapist yeah. I have yeah, it was hard. I'm not I mean it was very triggering. Um, it definitely took me back to things that happened in my own childhood because um, I saw very clear similarities in mm-hmm. some of the stories, my own experiences. And that's that's extremely hard. No matter how much healing and therapy and trauma therapist I am, it's it's still it's hard. So I'll take some time for self care today.
0: Yeah, I'm yeah. definitely. What about you, Stephanie?
2: I'm okay. I mean, I it, it's it's sickening to me but it is not triggering for me I think in the same way that it is for the three of you because I didn't grow up with I grew up with more options
3: hmm.
2: um, I had people I could Dottie thank you for sharing that and that's horrible and that is it, no one should have to go through childhood with no one they can trust hmm. I I mean, what I've realized, every one of these books that we've done, but this one especially, I look back like I think I feel, I think I feel the the need to say this for anyone who's watching and wondering: Is there any place, anywhere that's safe? Because we're talking about like yes, these problems are also prevalent outside of Anabaptist communities, and. I want to say we have a huge problem with this as a society, but it's not this bad everywhere. I mean, I am realizing I spent hours and hours of my childhood running around with my cousins with no supervision whatsoever. We, you know, we had a family farm. Um, There were seven of us. We, we just, you know, I was an only child, but I played with my cousins all the time. We were, I mean, I don't know, I guess probably the last generation of sort of free range kids. And there was never any question of this kind of stuff going on. Even if we were naked and swimming in the creek, it's just we had parents who understood what was developmentally normal and who treated us with compassion. And there are many places in the world, like it is not so... I read this book and I, I feel like there are a bunch of people who feel like if we don't, if we're not hyper-vigilant every second, our children are going to have this done to them or do this to other people or like, you know, fall into right. sin with all with all of the the moral ambiguity and problematic baggage that, you know, the idea of sin brings to this discussion. And it does, it's just really does not have to be that way it does not have to be that way and it's not normal or natural well
0: and i want to i want to add that like one um, one of our other listeners shares that you're not alone um to our previous commenter sharing their experiences so sorry for what you had to deal with and i want to say this i want to say that survivors have created communities where they or built connections of people that they trust. And like, for for example, like one, one thing that is really unique about each of us is that like, I might feel safe with somebody that Stephanie might not feel safe with. Laurie might feel safe with somebody that I might not feel safe with. Jess might feel safe with somebody that Laurie might not feel safe with, and vice versa. So that can go all around. But in the same token, like, I um, have built a life that I feel pretty safe in my daily life. I feel safe in my home. Um, Sometimes I don't feel safe in public because people are people. And when you go to the grocery store with your kid and there's an elderly man literally looking at your kid. And this happened when my kid was like nine years old, literally looking at your kid with the, the look. I don't think your cat likes this, Stephanie. But when there is an elderly man looking at your kid with a look, you as a parent, you take steps. You take action. You protect your kid. You make sure that you remove and, and that you're not being followed by that person when you leave the grocery store with your kid. You take actions like that. You are aware But it also doesn't mean that you don't take your kid to the park or you don't take your kid out to go do things and that you don't teach your kid to embrace themselves as they are and to go out and enjoy life. That there are safe places for you because there are safe places for you. You can create them. Mm -hmm. Well said. So, with that being said, if each of you wanted to give, like, a 30-second spiel to somebody who comes from your Mm. respective backgrounds, we are open for that. Don't all, like, start talking at once. I can't hear you.
1: Well, first of all, it's it's not okay if that is happening to you. It's not normal, even though it might feel normal, or it's it's normalized, I should say. Um, And... It's not a sin to tell someone. In fact, you should tell someone. And there is hope. You can heal from trauma. Like, like Mary said, you can create your own safe spaces. And one thing about survivors is they have a really um, good instinct of who's safe and who's not safe pretty quickly. Um, so there is, there is hope. Find a therapist find trusted people, tell someone, tell anyone, tell someone. Jess?
3: I was thinking about what I wish I would have been told when I was going through that as a child. And I think if someone would have told me that it wasn't my fault, I didn't have to feel dirty or guilty. It would have made all the difference for me. Um, So I think that's what I would say. It's, it's not your fault you're not at fault, you're not dirty, you're not guilty, your life is not ruined. You can have a life after abuse. Yes.
0: Stephanie?
2: Sorry about the feline distraction. Um, I think I would say to people coming from my background, which is assimilated liberal Mennonite, MC USA, MC Canada is, it's we can look at plain Anabaptists and Amish and you know, be appalled, and you know, we should be appalled. but we have these problems in our own churches, and I work with I work with survivors from liberal Mennonite backgrounds constantly, and our churches do. I mean, I say our, I'm not part of one anymore, but this is part of the reason why. Our churches do less overt versions of this, and our churches and our institutions are incredibly cruel to survivors. We need to stop pretending that Mennonite institutions are some sort of um, oasis from from the problems of abuse that are prevalent throughout our whole society. We have to stop doing that. And we also have to stop posing as experts on playing cultures and recommending stuff like this without reading it. We have to stop doing that stuff.
0: Yeah. Ooh, and y'all got some powerful points to make. Thank you. It's really important. I mean, I would like to say, like, if you come from an Amish or in, you know, any type of Amish background, like, really, or if you're anybody who has experienced childhood abuse, in any form, shape, or way, like, just know that it wasn't your fault. You deserve better, and also know that your life isn't ruined, like just said, and you are capable. You are capable of making decisions. You are capable of building a life that actually serves you and building a life that holds a lot of meaning for you. I believe in you, and I want you to know that there are people out there who will support you. There are people who will care about you. It's just a matter of finding them and connecting with them. And you can do it. I believe in you. Furthermore, this is going to conclude our discussion of that booklet, unless y'all have anything to add to it, because I don't particularly want to discuss that booklet anymore. But the next booklet on the list is going to be to a girl of 11. So how do we feel about that?
1: Should we discuss this booklet more or should we move to
0: to a girl of 11?
1: I feel like that one might also be similarly nauseating. I mean, I know it is because I've read it.
3: It's
1: your choice.
0: Everybody gets a vote.
3: I'm definitely good with moving past this one. Yeah, Yeah,
0: Yeah. Okay. So it is to a girl of 11 and we will determine when we will do that. And we will let you all know. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you to our Patreon subscribers and to the Misfit Amish for bringing us this. I hope y'all have a fabulous, wonderful Sunday. Go forth and be blessed.
3: Oh, oh,